Hey, want to take a walk on the wild side and experience the bleeding edge of technology? Then get ready because it doesn't get much more edgy than this. You're in for a wild ride. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, the man in triple black, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now, here's Brian. Happy Ishtar, everybody! Woo! <laughs> uh, boy, what is Happy Ishtar? Well, we'll get into that, won't we? Uh, but of course, actually, this is coming out a day before uh, Easter Sunday, um, <laughs> or whatever the hell that's all called. Uh, but anyway, ha- had some had some listener emails about that. Hey, what do you think about this whole Easter Ishtar debate? And we will be getting into that. But welcome to episode 70. Uh, just got back from Toronto and New York City and just traveling all over the place with the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. And, uh, you know, if, if you haven't caught it, we, she and I recorded a wrap-up special for the past two Bitcoin conferences that we went to. Uh, and it was a good time. Bit of a lengthy one. I included uh, one of my, my fireside chat from the Toronto Expo, uh, which I loved. The Toronto Bitcoin Expo was phenomenal. Can't say the same for the inside Bitcoins uh, in New York City, but but the Toronto Bitcoin Expo uh, was just fantastic. Probably my favorite Bitcoin conference of the year. Uh, I, I really, really enjoyed that. So do check that out. Uh, you know, it's in, it, go to SovereignTech.com, which of course takes you right to the SoundCloud page, uh, because SoundCloud has everything I want in a web page and you can, uh, you know, look it up right there and, and, you know, and give it a listen. So, so please do check out, you know, and give that again, it's kind of long, but I think it turned out great. A uh, lot of, a lot of really, really great insights brought up and just a lot of fun that, you know, or, or bitching <laughs> that Stephanie and I engaged in, uh, for that special show. So, so do check that out. Um, let's get into the rapid fire stories. I cause for our main story, I've got a, a really a very large topic to talk about. So I want to get through this. Um, interesting thing. I think, uh, at least a couple episodes ago, uh, I talked about, how Square Enix was planning on the game company that's best known for uh, Final Fantasy. And of course, the Enix side of that company is really well known for their uh, Dragon uh, Quest series. And um, apparently Sony is selling off 9.5 million shares of their stock in Square Enix. And that's not good. That that that's... Uh, I, you know, I don't know what's on Sony's mind in, in doing that. Maybe they're sick and tired of the cross-platform nature that Square Enix seems to be pushing so hard. And they wanted to invest heavily in the company because, uh, you know, they wanted exclusive Final Fantasy games. Maybe that's the deal. Admittedly, Square became what it is largely in part due to the PlayStation, you know, no doubt about it. So maybe Sony feels snubbed and they walked away. But that does raise questions. Hey, what's going on in the company that even Sony feels they can't make money off of it? Uh, or, you know, at least that would seem so you know, a bit of a scary story. Uh, Google Glass was uh, available for purchase by the public recently uh, or for the public. I should say not by the public for the public. Uh, I don't know exactly what the sales numbers are on that, but we'll I will definitely keep you posted on what happened there. Uh, another interesting story. This is uh, a story of irony is that Yahoo, that Yahoo <laughs> has really they're they're starting to beef up security 
they're starting to do a lot of encryption with all of their services. Uh, their latest Android app for Yahoo Mail actually turns off the, uh, you know, the viewable images by default, which is the opposite of what Google has done. Google turned them on by default now, and Yahoo's doing the exact opposite for uh, security concerns. Now, one could make the case that uh, anyone using Yahoo Mail still, this isn't true, but one could make the argue the case, are by people that have had email addresses for a really long time and just haven't moved on to bigger and better things. That's not to say that there's bigger and better from Yahoo per se. Um, and in that mind, you know, security, you, you're not expecting your user base to have security as the first thing in their mind or even how to go about securing it. And so that's why they're doing it. Uh, of course, obviously, I think a lot of this is part of the ramping up because Yahoo's been buying up companies right and left. Uh, you know, Tumblr, uh, you know, go down the uh, flicker, go down the list. Um, this might be Yahoo starting to ramp up a sales pitch as to why you should go to Yahoo and leave Google. Uh, so I think Marissa Meyer is really starting to, she, she's getting ready to take Google literally head on. I mean, they've always been a competitor, but like now I think she's getting to the point where she's going to say, no, look, we are doing all of this better and we're going to give you more. So we'll see what happens there. But it's interesting that they're at least giving a damn about security. Uh, of course, both of these companies, Yahoo and Google that we were talking about, uh, have both recently, Google most recently in the past week, have updated their privacy policy, making it very, very clear to state that, yes, we read your emails in going and outgoing. So Yahoo said they do that. Uh, that was a few months back. And Google now, play, I mean, we've known this for a while, but Google now literally says, you know, yeah, we're, we're reading your email. And actually, Google's privacy policy update, as I understand it, has gone so far as to say, look, anything you do in our services, we can use for whatever purpose. And, uh, and, and that's, that's a little disconcerting because, you know, like Google's policy on uh, like legal policy on things is that like, say someone cracks into your Google Drive, OK, and say stole some of your documents. All right. Um, their their legal policy says you can't sue Google for that. OK, that your documents are yours, but you can't sue Google. And so you kind of have this this really strange, uh, you know, double edged sword that looks like it's going to cut you whichever way it swings with, with Google, which, uh, you know, I mean, look into that for yourself, um, and, and, and see what you think as far as that goes myself. I stopped using Gmail a good while back, uh, and I've been using GMX for, for quite some time. And I, I really love it, especially since their servers are not in the United States. Um, anyway, uh, in, in other <laughs> of, of good security news, Ubuntu 14.04 finally came out the trusty tar, uh, this is an LTS version, which means that for like the next four years, you can get full on support, you know, for this version of Ubuntu. So if you haven't updated in a while, because they come out with a new update every six months, but if you haven't updated in a while, uh, this is a good one to update to. And they've cleaned things up quite a bit. Ubuntu One is no longer. Uh, that was their cloud service they were kind of offering. As far as I know, Ubuntu Music might still be out there, which I find that to be odd because Ubuntu One and Ubuntu Music were, were kind of hand in hand. Um, 
But I looked at Trusty Tar, and, and I mean, it, it's it's pretty much just cleaning things up. They're still using Unity, which I don't necessarily like the Unity interface. Um, but of course, you, you know, you can choose your own. Um, so, you know, it's out there. Give it a shot. I thought it looked great. You know, I didn't see anything really, really terribly wrong with it. Um, you know, and another security thing. Yes, I will talk about Heartbleed relax. <laughs> we will discuss it. Uh, I know that's kind of, it's probably something that everybody's been waiting for, waiting for me to, to talk about. Um, and you know, here's the, the last bit, this is, or, or actually two more, one other story. Then I want to get into a really interesting one and then we'll get into our main story. But, uh, Fred Wilson, I don't know how many of my listeners know who Fred Wilson is. Okay. But this is a guy, he's an investor, uh, speculator, the whole shtick. This is a guy who is behind some pretty big services in the past. Uh, I mean, he helped push Tumblr. Uh, he helped push all kinds of, uh, you know, Web 2.0 technologies. I mean, even Twitter, uh, Kickstarter, he helped out with even SoundCloud, which, of course, the show thrives on. Um, I mean, this guy's behind a lot of stuff and he's really good at guessing trends. Okay, because other than maybe like Zynga, pretty much everything he's invested in is doing pretty well for itself. And Fred Wilson amazingly came out in support of Bitcoin and, but not just Bitcoin. He actually said he, he, by name, he mentioned name coin, which uh, we're a big fan of name coin on the show. In fact, I even, I get name coin donations. I got one recently, a five name coin from a guy and I, boy, I thought that was, that was really kind of him. Um, and, uh, you know, th that was interesting. He was saying that, look, Bitcoin, it, it's going to be very decentralized. He's saying that, that you know, this whole, uh, this whole, uh, economy, this whole, this whole sphere, um, that like, you know, name coins going to do this, Bitcoin's going to do this, another coin's going to do this, another one's going to do this. And so, but he recognized the importance of name coin in our present scheme of things. Now, of course, there is no talk about side loading side chains, or I shouldn't say side loading side chains, uh, you know, but, but still it was, I was shocked. This is one of the first times really in, in major press that I saw some serious recognition for Namecoin. I was really pleased about that. Uh, so, you know, and I mean, I didn't necessarily see the, the, the price skyrocket or the value skyrocket of Namecoin because of it, but at least people are seeing the value of something like what Namecoin does with, uh, you know, allowing you to access dot bit, uh, domain names. So, uh, that, that was great. The other, now here, here's a beauty. <laughs> this is, this is pretty exciting. I love to talk about the weird here and there. Um, but on Apple maps, or at least from an image that gets used on Apple maps, uh, supposedly in the Loch Ness Lake. Okay. Uh, <laughs> which is in Scotland. A lot of people, you know, know that name because of the Loch Ness monster. They found it looks like there's some kind of giant creature under the water. And a lot of people are wondering if this is Nessie from this satellite photo. And it, boy, it's really something. And you look at it, it kind of looks like a whale shark, you know, I mean, it, you know, superficially there's people who are saying that it's actually a boat wake, but then there's the problem that there's no boat when in the picture, you can clearly see other boats. So there's no boat there. Um, and, hey, you know, maybe like these, these satellite images are taking in, they're taken in like, uh, you know, uh, sectors they're taking in, they're taken in, you know, certain like cubes and they're all kind of stitched together. And so maybe the boat just didn't make the cut, 
but I don't know. It's pretty symmetrical and it's a huge, it'd be a huge wake by comparison of the shot. I do debate whether or not that that's an actual boat wake. And so, Hey, maybe it's Nessie, you know, maybe it's the Loch Ness monster, some dinosaur just hanging out in that, in that lake. That's so damn dark, uh, <laughs> you know, unless it's something riding really close to the surface, uh, who knows, you know, maybe cryptozoology, you know, one, once again, because it wins here and there, uh, cryptozoology, of course, being the study of, uh, you know, kind of hidden creatures or maybe lost creatures. Uh, they, sometimes they get proven, you know, like Sasquatch is cryptozoology, but of course we've yet to find any serious evidence for Sasquatch. Um, anyway, I'm a, I'm a bit of a, uh, cryptozoology is a, is a, you know, hobby of mine. And so, uh, this was, I just thought a very fun story and boy, it did make you wonder. You know, like, what the hell is that? It is a weird shot. So you can look that up online, I'm sure. Anyway, let's get into uh, this this week's main story. And with this week's main story, I'm going to do another I told you so. Okay, Uh, because this is. This is something that's coming and I want people to pay attention to it and be ready for it when it's on its way. You know, uh, disruptive technologies come literally out of nowhere. This is not a disruptive technology. It is going to disrupt the present paradigm that we know of that paradigm being like Apple versus Google. Right. Um, but this is not necessarily a disruptive technology. This is just a coalescence of a lot of ideas. And that's how you can see it coming. Uh, the really big stuff like Bitcoin, no one ever sees coming. You know, it just like appears <laughs> and and there's no signs of it. Right. Or at least very, 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 very few. And then they're very, very odd. Um, but this is about Amazon. And I've made I've talked about this briefly in the past. And I really want to give you a full picture about Amazon. And I've predicted that by 2016, around there, I predicted on the show years ago that Amazon would become the premier technology company in the world. And I think this is true. Um, in fact, in my talk at the, which I, as it stands right now, I haven't listened back to it, but my talk at the, at the Bitcoin expo, uh, I wasn't totally pleased with how it came out. One of the things I wanted to bring up was Amazon's attitude towards Bitcoin in that they don't need it. Now, if you've listened to the show a bunch of times, you know that that's not new info. Okay. <laughs> I've told you that, that Bitcoin does not need Bitcoin or that, that Amazon does not need Bitcoin and Amazon will never accept Bitcoin. And about a day after the, the end of the Bitcoin expo, they actually came out and said it that our consumers don't see it as right for them. And we don't see it as right for us essentially. So, you know, and and as far as it not being right for the consumer, that's a crock of shit. Uh, There's no reason that it's not right for the consumer. It makes things easier. Okay. But is it right for Amazon? No, I I don't think it is because why isn't it? Because Amazon doesn't need it. It really doesn't need it. And I think it's get it. In fact, if anything, it would just kind of get it, it. It would confuse and get in the way of what Amazon, I think, has in mind. And we've talked about this before. We we've talked about this since, since the news broke, which was over a year ago where Amazon came up with their own coin, Amazon coin. Now it's really just a glorified gift card this Amazon coin. You can only use it to buy, uh, like, uh, like apps, uh, in games for, you know, Kindle devices. Okay. But it can be so much more. And to some degree in the code, it's been shown that it can be so much more. Now in the past, we've also, we've talked about, uh, the Kindle fire POS point of sale systems 
that are going to sell for, you know, a very inexpensive price. It's pretty much going to be all the old stock. In fact, uh, the, the last chance to buy the Kindle fire HD from Amazon themselves, not HDX. This is the previous, the HD, uh, is coming up. Like, like they're going to end the, the, end the, the, the time time frame within which they allow them to be sold. And when that goes off, when that time frame stops, okay, which is in a couple weeks, we're in April of 2014 right now in a couple weeks, then I think they're going to slap a bunch of card readers, credit card readers onto these Kindle fire HDs, not HDX HDs. And they're going to start shipping them. You know, they're, they're going to start, you know, offering them to pretty much every retail business on the planet. Okay. Every brick and mortar store on the planet, they're going to offer probably what's going to be a $200 point of sale system, which I've talked about before. I worked at par technologies. Okay. And to get a really great, you know, POS that I think that, you know, that the Kindle fire could achieve, you're going to hash out shy of $2,000 easy. Okay. So here you have the opportunity for Amazon and it'd be dumb for businesses not to do this. You know, you have an opportunity for Amazon to spread into the, you know, into meat space. They will no longer just be an internet store. Yes. No, they're not buying out Lowe's. Okay. But you know, they're, they're not by L O W E. They're not buying out Lowe's or home Depot, but their infrastructure is going to penetrate is going to infiltrate all of these retail spaces, just like their delivery boxes and return boxes, uh, lockers actually are inside of radio shacks and some other stores. Okay. They're doing everything they can to invade the retail, the brick and mortar retail space, and they're succeeding. And I think when you offer a point of sale system, uh, for the price that they're offering, you're definitely going to do it. Okay. So Amazon. And, and so now what's the importance of that? Again, the importance of this is that they can, you know, when they want to make Amazon coin go prime time and be an actual currency. Okay. Maybe it'll still be kind of a gift card, but it'll be an actual currency. They, you can use those Amazon coins in pretty much every store on the planet. That's, that's the key right there. Okay. Is that you'll be able to use it everywhere. Now, the other part of this is that here's one of the things that a lot of people ask for with Bitcoin. Okay. Is that can, can I, with Bitcoin, can I pay my bills? Yeah. To some degree you can, there's some services out there that, that are kind of allowing for that. But anyway, but with Amazon, Amazon already has Amazon payments, which is a payment processing system, you know, already certified that would actually allow you to pay your bills. So you just, you connect all these dots, you take Amazon coin and you put it into, you know, Am and you connect it with Amazon payments and suddenly you can use Amazon coin to do literally anything. Okay. And if you roll this out fast enough, you can beat Bitcoin to the punch on all of it. Okay. And so, so there you have how, in my opinion, how Amazon can defeat Bitcoin. Bitcoin will always be around, no doubt about it, but it can get way ahead of the game because who's so many people, millions, billions of people have never heard of Bitcoin, but billions of people have heard of Amazon. Okay. So you got, they've got the name and they can already own with that. Um, and so then how does this grow even bigger? Well, guess what? Okay. You have the Kindle TV, the Amazon Kindle TV that just came out a couple weeks ago. So they've invaded your living room. All right. 
They've got the tablet space with the Kindle with the Fire HDX, which everybody will tell you is probably the best tablet on the market hardware wise. Okay. Then we get an announcement this week, and I actually I talked about this uh, where Amazon there is a leak about their phone, an Amazon phone that's coming out. Okay. Now again, we'll, we'll go into the specs of this phone, but keep this in mind. Amazon coin just it just became possible to use Amazon coin literally anywhere. Even on your phone, you know, you talk about, well, you can't. Yeah, fine. Amazon coin, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's not as easy as having my Android phone and, uh, you, you know, and, and doing and scanning some Bitcoin or Litecoin or whatever uh, between friends. Well, nope, they have a phone which will have that same infrastructure, that same Fire OS infrastructure that would allow if Amazon coin goes that far, that would allow it to be used. And this is quite the phone. Uh, it looks like some pretty good specs. It has a ton of cameras on it and there's going to be two of these. There's going to be a high end version and a low end version, uh, to me in the low end version. They'll probably, as far as like with carriers, they'll probably give that one away for free. You know, if you do a two year contract, right. Um, and kind of the killer app that they're going to do for this, and this is interesting, the killer app or the killer idea for the, for the phone, and this might not take off is that the screen is going to be 3d, no glasses, 3d. This is not new for phones. Okay. Uh, HTC did this with their HTC Evo, but this is interesting because we broke a story a while back, you know, a good year back where we talked about how HTC and Amazon were talking. Now, maybe HTC isn't actually making the phones, so I wouldn't be shocked if they were, but HTC were, was the company that was ahead of the game as far as having 3d screens on a smartphone. And so that's must be what that conversation was, or at least in part, that's what that conversation was about is how do we develop 3d, you know, on, onto a phone. And so this is a differentiating, differentiating factor. And when people see the name Amazon, they're going to find it interesting. So Amazon has it all and they did it really like organic from the ground up. Like they, they you didn't see it coming. And so many Amazon, uh, you know, apps are cross platform available on iOS and Android. They even do a better job of that than Google does as far as being cross platform. Um, they're everywhere. They're literally everywhere. And in fact, you know what? Uh, and I talked about this on sex and science hour this week on episode 10, um, where I said, look, you know, this is a company that is okay with not making a profit right now. And Bezos, Jeff Bezos, the head of Amazon will just tell his investors, you know, Hey, look, no, you just got to wait. You got to wait. This is all going to come into fruition. And you know what I, and, and so they'll go for broke They'll They'll, you know, Bezos will, will do everything he can, uh, you know, and, and spare literally no expense and sell things well below cost to just get it out there. I mean, you can like the Kindle fire, the HDX, those tablets you can get on a payment plan with no interest. That's insane. So here's, here's the thing. Here's my prediction because a lot of big name investors are coming into Bitcoin now taking over Bitcoin trying to take over Bitcoin anyway. Uh, you know, the libertarians with all that, with all that Bitcoin might have a different story to tell them, I hope. But I think they're coming into Bitcoin because they see it as the only thing that could possibly stop Bezos. I think the bulk of the investing world is scared to death of Amazon because Amazon's breaking all the rules. And there's a chance that they could do everything. So that's why I think Amazon is going to take over the world in almost a real literal sense. 
because no one else is in meat space like they are and on the internet. Stone Age wasn't enough for you. Then we heard it. The sound of something terrible being born. This is madness. Station 3 to Commander Ivanova. Centauri have launched a full-scale assault. Time is coming on! It's our turn now! Two million tons of spinning metal, all alone in the night. A world where empires rise and fall. Where dreams are born and die. Where war and hatred are challenged by love and faith. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace, for victory, for freedom. It is Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. Tech Roulette. Want to play? It is time for Tech Roulette to know why I always want to play. And uh, boy, you know, <laughs> Amazon stock, I'm not sure where their price is at right now, but seriously, it's at, no matter what it is right now, it's cheap. And you might want to get in on it if you're that kind of person that can get in on those things. <laughs> because I really, this is just going to go through the roof. Okay. Uh, I am again, like I said, Amazon, I think they, they have everything in position. Uh, they're, they're as cross platform as they need to be. And they're going to be in every possible space that matters to our consumer culture. Okay. And they are going to take over the world. And, you know, maybe, maybe a lot of people are saying, Hey, you know, but come on, Google's all over the place too, right? I mean, without Google maps, we can't do anything. Well, we're going to answer that Google maps question in software of the week, but you know, they say, well, without Google search, we can't do anything. Actually, a lot of people say that uh, that they use Amazon more for search than they use Google, you know, because they're trying to just find something to buy or, <laughs> or whatever. Um, and it's also interesting to point out, because I'm going to talk about Google here. Got a great story from a, from a good friend, uh, and, uh, Rich Dana, that um, that's about Google and maybe why they're falling behind and where Amazon is just like, you know, going everywhere that they possibly can. Um but it's interesting to point out that Forbes just came out with their, you know, like most their their top 50 most beloved companies, uh, you know, by 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 the, the masses. And number one was Apple. Not a shock. OK, the cult of Apple is a, is a, a powerful force. Number three was Google. Number three was Google, not number two. Number three was Google. Guess who number two was this is just this week. Amazon. Go ahead. You can tell me, you can, you can write in and say, oh, Amazon isn't going to do what you say. Amazon can't do what you say. Google forever. Apple forever. Uh, Amazon's creeping up big time. So, and you know, this is another thing too. I get a lot of these emails. I'm, I'm probably going to name this episode. I told you so. Okay. Because I get so annoyed. I get so much, I get so many emails from people saying like, like I talked about the big bang a few episodes back. Okay, and I said, no, I don't think the Big Bang is how the universe was created. And I mentioned one of the possibilities being, even though my, my firm belief is a quasi-static state theory, I mentioned one of the possibilities was that there was a fourth dimensional black hole that exploded, which essentially, or, you know, that, that not exploded, but that created um, the three-dimensional universe that we live in. 
And on Cosmos, the show Cosmos, the reboot with Neil deGrasse Tyson, which is actually shaping up to be a, to be a pretty decent show. Um, he mentions very briefly, he says, maybe a fourth dimensional, you know, he, he, he hints at the idea that a fourth dimensional black hole is what created the universe. So there it is on, you know, the most bleeding edge science show out there admitting that maybe it wasn't the big bang and, Oh, but Brian, you're so fucking nuts. You're crazy. This bullshit. Were you some kind of creationist? No, I read science books. Unlike other people. You know, and I actually like do a little independent thinking instead of just accepting the facts. You know, I, I look into them or should I say the theories, not so much the facts anyway. Um, so let's talk about Google. What's going on with Google? And this is a great write up. It's from the Atlantic. And I think this is pretty key. And this uh, falls under, uh, you know, kind of a theory that I have that uh, or not a theory, but a, a statement that I make that buying up companies, which is what a lot of these big companies are doing, Yahoo, Google, uh, Microsoft, Apple, um, buying up companies is not innovation. Okay. The innovation is happening in garages around the country where you can see the, you know, the solder smoke coming out of them. That's my personal opinion on it. And this, uh, this article would seem to, to make that case. And it's Google wants to make science fiction a reality and that's limiting their imagination. Self-driving cars, extreme life extension and global Wi-Fi provided by weather balloons. Uh, Google makes projects that sound like science fiction into reality at its secretive research lab, Google X. And that may be exactly the problem. Google finally allowed a journalist, Fast Company's Joe Gertner, uh, to profile Google X. His report is on newsstands, blah, blah, blah. The most interesting strategic detail he gleaned was Google's process for selecting Google X projects. There are three criteria that expert projects share. All must address a problem that affects millions or better yet, billions of people. All must utilize a radical solution that has at least a component that resembles science fiction. Let's read that line one more time. All must utilize a radical solution that has at least a component that resembles science fiction. And all must happen to technologies that are now or very nearly obtainable. But to Rich Duvall, the head of Rapid Evil, there's another Eval, E-V-A-L, not evil. Uh, there's another more unifying principle that connects the three criteria. No idea should be incremental. Okay, now, I like that, the idea that no idea should be incremental. We should just leap to it. Um, I'm, I actually, I, I think I like that idea all the way around. Um, incrementalism in the liberty movement is a big deal. And I disagree with it. I don't think incrementalism helps. I don't think it's going to work. Uh, Peter Kropotkin, uh, the guy who wrote about mutual aid in the early 20th century, an anarchist, um, he said the same thing. He's like, you just you can't do incrementalism. You just got to jump right to that society. Uh, otherwise, you'll never get there. And I agree with that. So I agree with Google's attitude on that. Uh, anyway, a lot of people might read that line and think, wow, cool. Google is trying to make the future. But science fiction provides but a tiny porthole onto the vast strangeness of the future. When we imagine a science fiction like future, I think we tend to picture completed worlds, flying cars, the shiny floating towers of mid-century dreams. We tend, in other words, to imagine future technological systems as ready made. Holistic products that people will choose to adopt rather than as the assembled work of countless different actors, which they've always really been. The futurists Scott Smith calls these flat pack futures and they infect science fictional thinking. 
Science fiction, too, can underestimate the importance and role of, so of social change. For every feminist science fiction writer or Afrofuturist, there is still a better known member uh, of the genre's far right. The writer David Forbes, in fact, asked for support earlier this year so he could investigate the great influence of science fiction's extreme conservatives. Wrote Forbes at the time, sci-fi's popular history doesn't mention Joseph Campbell's belief that race riots were caused by genetic barbarians or Robert Heinlein's fondness for robber barons and military rule. It remembers Larry Niven's creative alien worlds, not his advocacy of lying to immigrants to deny them health care. Jerry Purnell is widely hailed as the dean of military sci-fi, his sympathies for fascists like Franco and Pinochet forgotten. Google X obviously isn't to blame for science fiction's reactionary inheritance, but a science fictional imagination is prone to these sorts of myopia. I fear, especially when we talk about science fiction, that we miss the layeredness of the world, that many people worked to build it. In his article, Gertner uh, expands on Google X's aversion to incrementalism. The rejection of incrementalism, he says, is not because he and his colleagues believe it's pointless for ideological reasons. They believe it for practical reasons. It's so hard. To do almost anything in the world, Duvall says, getting out of bed in the morning can be hard for me, but attacking a problem that is twice as big or 10 times as big uh, is not twice or 10 times as hard. Duvall insists that it's often just as easy or easier to make inroads on the biggest problems than to try to optimize the next 5% or 2% out of the same process. That's a very interesting point. I mean, you know, from a liberty perspective, I'm talking tech here, but I just want to bring this up from a liberty perspective. Really, this is like working within the political system. You're going to do 2%, 5% of the time. And all that time you spend on that, you could be working on the biggest problems and solving them a lot faster than what it does to take to get these incremental changes. I think that makes a great point for staying out of the system, the political system. Uh, go anarchy, go. So anyway, let's get back to the technology, shall we? <laughs> This strikes me as an intriguing assertion, and I want to think more about it, but it's certain that some causes, especially social ones, can only be advanced incrementally, and some technologies, especially systemic ones, can only be constructed the same ways. I'm reminded of my colleague Rebecca Rosen's interview with uh, Radia Perlman, whose invention of the spanning tree protocol made the modern Internet possible. Perlman is often called the mother of the Internet for her work, a title which she eschews. She explained why she doesn't like it. The Internet was not invented by any individual. There are lots of people who like to take credit for it, and it drives them crazy when anyone other than them seems to want credit. So it seems best to just stay out of their way. I did indeed make some fundamental contributions to the underlying infrastructure, but no single technology really caused the Internet to succeed. And sometimes things get invented multiple times until the time just happens to be right. The thing that happens that happened to be there at the right time isn't necessarily better than the other ones. Likewise, likewise, we have thousands of stories about why flying through space is awesome, but many fewer about why NASA's funding has been reduced in the past few decades. Flying through space is awesome, but if technological advocates want to only want not only to make their advances, but to hold on to them, we have better learn the virtues of incrementalism. Now, uh, first off, I want you to look up Rebecca Rosen. OK, because I really get annoyed when, you know, it, admittedly, 
I want everybody to get the kind of credit that they want, even if they don't want it. Uh, but women definitely don't get enough credit, Rebecca Rosen being one of them, for how much they contribute to the areas of science and technology. And I think it's important to look into these and to read about them before someone comes out and says, oh, stupid women, they can't handle, you know, tech, blah, 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 you know, because believe me, that attitude's out there. So I want you to check out Rebecca Rosen, really an amazing story uh, and a person being, especially even in this article, far too humble in what they contributed, uh, you know, to, to the world that we now, to the technological wonder world that we now live in. Um, anyway, that aside, uh, I actually, I have a bit of a different take on this thought. Uh, I don't agree with the virtues of incrementalism. I don't think incrementalism works. Okay. So I agree with Google's like looking at that. Where my problem with this comes from is that I think Google is stuck in thinking of how can we make science fiction a reality? And there's a problem in that. And what, you know, because, I mean, they've come right out and said, Sundar Pichai, a whole bunch of people have come right out and said, we are trying to create the Star Trek computer with Google search. That is everything we are trying to do. Google now, its purpose is to be the computer from Star Trek, where you ask it a question and it replies to you. You know, and you can ask that question any way you want, and it's going to reply to you, okay, with the answer. So that is Google's dream, and everything they do is to create some form of science fiction. Now, the problem there is, is that science fiction is actually a terrible, you're, I know you're going to find this shocking to hear, but it's not my idea, not originally anyway. Science fiction is actually terrible most of the time at guessing the future. Star Trek got kind of lucky in some points, okay? But by and large, science fiction sucks at predicting the future. Uh, and I didn't say that. Harlan Ellison and Isaac Asimov himself, themselves, said it. That science fiction actually gets it wrong 99% of the time. You know? And I think that's an important point to bring up. And so for Google to, to be thinking within the box, again, they, they said right there that Google X, part of their mandate is you've got to come up with something that was in science fiction. That is limiting not because of incrementalism, because incrementalism is shit, okay, in my opinion. It's limiting in that it doesn't let you th really think outside of the box, whatever that phrase means to you. And that's a problem. That's, that's a real, real problem. Now, there is a slight comfort in that Google wants to do this. And let me explain what that comfort is. Uh, I talked a while back, what was episode 51, 56, whatever, where I mentioned how uh, one of the heads of Google X, she said, yes, she, she said that the next thing coming out of Google X will have nothing to do with tablets, wearables, you know, or like Google Glass anyway, as far as wearables go. Uh, you know, all this stuff, all the technology we have right now, she said, is absolutely boring. And, you know, we're, we're, we're coming out with something, you know, leaps and bounds ahead of all that. And I made the comment that, look, I said, as long as there are governments out there, I prefer that you not release it, whatever it is, because everything that's being put out there is getting used against us right now. Anyway, now, maybe it's something that could equally be used against the government. And in that case, fine, have it come out there. OK, but I am comforted that in science fiction, I haven't seen too many of the really scary technologies that I think, you know, are, are actually by the laws of physics possible to achieve um, that, that are that disconcerting more so than what we already have. So I take a small comfort 
you know, in the fact that that Google X has to base it upon something in science fiction. Um, but that is a shame at the same time, because again, that, that is, that is incredibly limiting. I mean, this is like, this is like, okay, you know, yeah, we're going to develop better ways of parenting children, but we're still going to preach the common, uh, you know, two parents, you know, mother, father paradigm. How limiting, you know, why don't we just question the entire status quo while we're at it? And I think that that's a great thing to do, uh, with anything. So, you know, again, I, I, I see this as a, as a, a, a pretty serious issue, but ironically, I'm seeing it as a completely different issue as to what the writer is seeing as the problem, because he's saying, no, we got to do it incrementally. You know, we got to nice and slow and, you know, think about it. I mean, the iPhone was not incremental. The iPhone was a drastic change in the way that we deal, you know, that, that we interface with technology and what technology can do. Uh, and in fact, but I mean, also it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just not incremental, but it was also accidental. Like, because I think the number one thing that people that smartphones have really changed are maps and maps was an afterthought for the iPhone, you know, which was the first modern rendition of what we call a smartphone. Yes. There were smartphones before. I know that. Okay. I'm a tech guy. I've been around for a while. I'm almost 33 years old in a couple of weeks. I'll be 33. Unbelievable. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, I know that there was, you know, Palm had stuff and that Mac even had things or, you know, the Apple had things in the nineties. Uh, but I'm just saying in our, in our, you know, modern renditions, the iPhone was the first smartphone and, you know, the idea of the maps, that was just like Steve jobs literally saying, I need something that I can show off the touch interface with. And so the guy's like, all right, yeah, we'll put a map thing on there. But then that ended up being almost like the key feature, right? You know, everybody loves Google Maps or Waze or whatever you happen to use. And again, software of the week, we're going to talk about an alternative to all of these that that might be far superior. Uh, so, you know, a lot of these ideas do come do, you know, maybe there, maybe we should come up with something called accidentalism. Because it, it's always it seems often by accident that we actually come up with these great ideas uh, or these ideas come out of failures, even not out of incrementalism. I, I disagree with this, this desire for incrementalism. So, you know, and, and as far as like ideas out of failures, I mean, I think the internet is actually came out of a failure. Um, it's like, you know, they, they didn't want to use it for the military. And so they said, okay, um, you know, we'll just, we'll give it to the, to the private sector and see if we can sell it off and salvage it and they can do what they want with it. And then look what happens, you know? So in, in a way it's, it's accidental, um, you know, but, but certainly not incremental. And that's the thing too, you know, I mean, the iPhone came out of nowhere. It was not incrementalism. The internet was not necessary. I don't think that was incrementalism. I think that was a totally new way. The, these totally, you know, interconnected systems all around the world, which as much as I think BBSs are actually superior to the internet, as we know it, uh, that was a huge leap. And it's such a huge leap. We don't know how it's even going to affect us years down the line, maybe even centuries down the line, how the Internet is going to change the human condition, uh, because I have a hard time believing that the purpose of the Internet is just to sell ads, uh, <laughs> which is really all it does now, even with Google. So, yeah, I, I get the point of this, but Google might be stuck as to where if another company doesn't hold themselves down to, hey, this has to look like something in science fiction. No, this needs to look like something totally new that no one's ever thought of. That's the company that's going to win. 
Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul. 15% of young men have a condition in their scrotum that's called a varicocele. This is when the veins that exit a testicle become enlarged. While most guys never know they have a varicocele, in some cases it can get large enough to feel like a small clumpy sack of worms that's above one of the testicles. Now, testicles need a constant flow of blood from the rest of the body in order to get oxygen and nutrients and to probably help cool them as well. This means that blood that's leaving the testicles has to drain upward against the pull of gravity, unless you're laying down. The veins that are leaving the testicles have gates or valves in them to help keep the blood flowing uphill from your testicles to your heart. Now, if these valves don't function well, the downward pressure can cause them to widen And that's what a varicocele is. Now, more than 90% of varicoceles occur above the left testicle. That's because the blood that drains from the left testicle encounters more resistance when it returns to the body than the blood that drains from the right testicle. Varicoceles go away when a guy lies down because the uphill resistance is gone. However, they can be associated with infertility. So while varicoceles usually cause no problems, if you think you have one, be sure to get it checked out. I have photos of varicose seals and more information about them on our website. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. Software of the Week. It is time for Software of the Week where I share software that I find to be useful. Sometimes it's a piece of crap software, but (laughs) uh, in this case... Um, you know, it is something that I think we'll find to be very, very useful. Um, I've talked about in the past, actually, I did a dark Android special that I got a really great response from, from, uh, a while back that it, I discussed like alternative mapping, uh, technologies for, um, you, you know, for, if you didn't want to use Google services and you were wanting to go like completely open source, et cetera, uh, that there were alternatives, um, and in fact, there was like awesome and which, was, uh, uh, that, that was a map program, uh, that's still really good. That that's a phenomenal one. Um, I also mentioned this one isn't necessarily open source though. It does use the open streets maps project. Okay. Which is an open source mapping, uh, database, uh, that was, uh, Scobler. But this week I've got one that, uh, that, that boy, this is probably the best map, uh, you know, map app that I've seen and it, and it, it smokes Google maps in my opinion and it's called Sigic. Okay. And it's for Android and it's, you can try it out seven days for free right now up until like April 22nd. So if you're hearing this before, then maybe you should get on this. Uh, they, they do have a sale for their, their software where it's 50% off and it's, I mean, you can buy maps for the entire world with the 50% off price for like 60 bucks. And you say that's steep. Wow, that's a lot for an app. Well, bear in mind, if, if they didn't have the sale, you'd be paying over $100 for it. But I think it's worth every penny, uh, in my opinion. I've, I've been testing it, and it works really, really well. Uh, you know, it does all the usual stuff you'd expect turn by turn. It does pedestrian mapping to where you could use it if you're walking. It actually does a better job of that than, than Google Maps does. Of course, Google Maps is still in beta as far as the pedestrian uh, maps go. And there's just the beauty is, is this all works offline. No Internet connection required at all. Uh, And that's that is so key 
that especially when I was just, you know, when the, the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy and I were, were, were going to, uh, to Canada, you know, I, I didn't have data. So I had to run off of a Wi-Fi connection and do all my mapping before I left the hotel to find out where I was going where it would have been so nice to just have offline maps. Now I did ask Scobler, but then I didn't have a map of Canada, you know, and I would have, I, I suppose I could have bought one, but I, I just didn't see the necessity since I was only going to be there a few days. But this could be really handy, especially if you're a big time traveler to have the entire world accessible for you for a really low price and, and just gorgeous, gorgeous maps. Uh, and they do a great job. And there's a lot of other abilities, too, that it has that I'm not even like getting into, uh, especially if you have a car. There is what's called there's there's a HUD display that this can do, which is amazing. What it'll do is uh, and this is another feature on it that you have to purchase. So a lot of in-app purchases here, but I think you get an impressive package when you do buy it all. Um, what it does is that you could take your smartphone or tablet. And this is the other nice thing, too, is that this works with tablets, you know, which you don't always have. Or maybe it's inexpensive or not practical or, you know, too expensive and impractical to have a, a, a 3G or 4G connection from a, from a tablet. So this is really great for tablet folks. But you could take your smartphone, smartphone or tablet, put it on the dashboard of your car, turn on the HUD display, and it'll actually, it'll, your screen will shoot up a display onto the windshield. Okay, not, not shoot it up because it's just reflecting it, right? But it'll make it so the reflection on the windshield is your entire guide map. And this is really cool. I mean, a lot of people, you know, this is something that, that high-end cars, and I don't mean Ferrari, I mean Rolls-Royce, okay, are putting into their vehicles. I literally mean Rolls-Royce. Where it is a, uh, it's a literal, you know, projected heads-up display. And so you're getting that effect, you know, for, for a pretty low price compared to a Rolls-Royce, right? And uh, it'll tell you your speed. It just gives you tons of information. It actually, it does a, it does a great job of entirely replacing your, um, you know, your dashboard readouts, you know, your, your information, your console information center on your car. It's beautiful. And so a lot of options here. And again, the best part is that it's, it's updated for free for life after you purchase it. And, uh, and you could go all around the world with it, literally all around the world. Phenomenal for one price. Even if you paid full price and you didn't use the, the 50%, I still think it's, it's worth it. But one caveat, make sure you've got plenty of hard drive space if you're going to keep the entire world map on there. It takes up a lot. I'll be back with more. This is Sonic Tech. From Big Finish Productions, Blake 7. The classic audio adventures. I'm taking Liberator in on manual. We'll be in teleport range in two minutes. What the hell was that? Information. Liberator has been attacked. You don't say. Put up the force wall. Confirm. Message to all ground commanders. Initiate the final phase. Let's crush these rebels once and for all. My name is Avon. Kerr Avon. Kerr Avon. Our hostage arrives, which you may be unnecessary. As a hostage, it's nice to be superfluous. You can go to Blake7.com to find more of the new adventures of one of science fiction's greatest masterpieces. Blake7 at Blake7.com. It is 
time for listener emails, where I cover emails that get sent to me through the various channels available to Sovereign Tech listeners. That, of course, being Twitter, uh, Google Plus, even, um, you know, even if you're friends with me on Facebook, uh, Instagram. I, I love Instagram. Uh, you name the spot. Of course, the email SovereignTech at RiseUp.net is also a great way to ask me a question. Uh, you pick it. And, and even even on SovereignTech.com. Through SoundCloud, if you have a SoundCloud account, uh, you can message me on there. You can private message me, or you can even ask a question within the show. Uh, like last week's show, if there's something, you know, or whatever week's show, if there's something you heard that you want me to extrapolate on for a listener email or something along those lines, you can actually comment on the very second that I said it on SoundCloud. And I want to get this out of the way real quick. Uh, there's plenty of ways to help the show. Uh, and uh, the free ways to do it are to follow me on Twitter, follow me on Google plus, you know, circle me on Google plus, um, or to, you know, follow me on SoundCloud. And all of those can be done. All of those can be done with a degree of anonymity. Really. You don't have to put in your real name. Google plus being the only exception, but SoundCloud's a free account. I mean, you can get a paid account, but you don't need it. Not if you're not going to put up, uh, you know, actual content. Uh, and, and Twitter of course is free. And so, you know, those are really free ways that you can actually help out the show is by bringing up those numbers for me. Uh, and I really, you know, I really appreciate it if you do that, if you want to donate to the show and please, you know, don't hesitate to donate to the, to the show. Um, it's, you know, you, all those uh, options are available in the show notes of every episode. Uh, I take Aurora coin next coin, uh, or, you know, next, it shouldn't be called next coin anymore. Uh, you, you name it. There, there, Bitcoin, Litecoin, Namecoin, uh, even PayPal. There are PayPal options. You can look at the left side of SovereignTech.com, and there is a link there to if you you know if you want to donate through PayPal. And there's also an Amazon link that you can use there, which will give uh, SovereignTech a cut of the purchase that you make, uh, which comes at no cost to you. So any of those things you can do to help, I really really appreciate it. Um, you know, it, it helps me out tremendously. You, you really can't imagine. So anyway, thank you for that. Uh, you know, and I mean, I help every podcaster, you know, if you like their content, give them a hand in, in any way that, that, that's, that people see, see fit. Uh, I, I think that that's, that's pretty important. You know, it's putting your money where your mouth is, uh, in a, in a very real sense, you know, the podcaster is putting their money where their mouth is by taking the time to deliver the content. And then you can put your money where your mouth is and saying, I love your show. Let me show you how, you know, and in whatever way, it doesn't always have to be paying, but you know, I think a lot of people really, really appreciate that when they, when you do it. Um, so a question I get asked a lot <laughs> in a lot of emails, and I've done this question before and I'm going to do it again because it's been about a year. Uh, but I mean, I get flooded with this question literally is what is the best phone out there? Should I wait for this phone? Should I get this phone? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, and you know, really the, the, the ultimate answer to the best smartphone is the one that does what you want it to do. And that may not be the same for everybody. Okay. And I'm going to actually kind of prove this point here in listener email. And then I've got another listener email I'm going to get into, which is about Easter. Um, and so this, this question, I mean, it, it's a great question and it does come down to what do you want to do with the phone? Now, if you are a largely, you stay within your country you know, and you don't need, uh, you know, international abilities or international plans or whatever. Uh, I think hands down the best phone on the market right now is the M8, the HTC M8. 
the Galaxy S5, the Samsung Galaxy S5 is a phenomenal phone. Nothing wrong with it. Okay. Uh, you know, if that's what's available to you, go ahead and go for it. The Galaxy, or I'm sorry, the Nexus 5 is a great phone for the price, especially. Uh, its major flaw being battery power, which is atrocious. Uh, that the battery, I, at least in my opinion, some people might be fine with that and can get by with it. Um, unless it's, Unless it is the the M8, the HTC M8, I cannot see buying a phone that doesn't have a expandable battery. Um, yeah, I know there's covers you can put on these things that will have an extra battery built into it. Okay, good, then you can get that. <laughs> but uh, but you know, for me, the Nexus Five, great phone, uh, great specs. Again, especially for the price. Uh, with a two-year contract, you can get the thing practically for free with most carriers in the United States, anyway. Um, but you know, the battery life is just, it's, it's not enough for me. Just won't do. Uh, so the, the M eight, I mean that the whole dual camera thing is pretty wild and you can get a Google play edition of the M of the HTC M eight, uh, or the HTC one M eight. That's the full name of it. It's the successor to the HTC one, which previously is about what I would have said to, to grab, uh, the HTC one max is still a great phone. Uh, if you want a phablet, if you want something larger than what the M8 offers you, grab the HTC One Max. Uh, Stephanie has one, and it is an awesome phone, uh, and it's got plenty of power. The M8, I don't think, if you're looking for screen size as compared to features more so, uh, I don't think the M8 offers any features that blow away the beauty of the screen size of the HTC One Max. So I think that's awesome. Um both of those phones, though, for for the international, because I'm actually going to tell you what I think is the best phone out there, and it's not either of those. The best phone out there, uh, I think, is the Lenovo. Yes, Lenovo makes phones. Um, the Lenovo P780. And I'll tell you why. Because uh, the inter- on the international side of things, now, with the HTC One Max, with some tinkering, you can actually get... Uh, you can replace the SIM card on it. Okay, so it's not limited when you buy it. Some phones are limited to, you know, where you purchase them. You're not, and you can't replace the SIM card, like with uh, Verizon or Sprint. Uh, Though that's not entirely true, that's mostly true. Um, You know, and and then the M8, you can replace the SIM card on that too. So, you know, you can go internationally, change the SIM card, and then you can use the plan uh, in the country that you happen to be in. Okay, so those work pretty well. But one of the things that's very popular around the rest of the world, that it's just seemingly not popular in in the Western world for whatever reason, uh, is dual SIM card phones. These are phones where they have two SIM cards in them. And I love this. I think this is a really, really neat, neat trick. And uh, very commonplace, again, in the rest of the world. Okay. Um, And the the P780 from Lenovo really, I think, kind of, kind of, puts it all together. So it has the dual SIM card ability. It has a quad core uh, processor built into it. Okay. Uh, it's got a five inch screen, you know, it's not 1080p like the max or the, um, or the, the M eight, but still a five inch screen, still a gorgeous screen. Uh, it has a gig of Ram. The, the battery life is amazing. The battery life goes, you know, like a day or two, just like the M eight does. Uh, it's got, you know, uh, an eight megapixel camera in the, in the, in the rear. Okay. And then the front camera, you know, not that special, of course, not many, uh, not many phones have a special front camera. Um, so, you know, but eight megapixels, that's great. That blows away even the, the HTC one. 
Uh, and you know, it, it has all, all the normal great features that, that you would imagine. Uh, it does as far as wireless, it doesn't have the wireless AC like, like the, the HTC models do. Okay. But it has wireless N and, you know, five gigahertz band, all that stuff. So it has all that. It does have one flaw, but I'm going to tell you why this flaw may not matter. It's one flaw is that it only has on board. It only has a four, four gig of, uh, of memory. Okay. So the, the hard drive quote unquote on it only is only four gig as to where the average phone has eight, 16 or 32. That's a bit of a drawback. It does have a micro SD card slot where you can put a 32 gig micro SD card into it. And then that doesn't matter so much. Okay. That is kind of a deal breaker, admittedly, I think for some, but here's the kicker is that no, you're not going to be able to get the P780 if you're in the United States around the world. It might be different. Okay. But I live in the States. And so, you know, I'm, I'm a denizen of the United States. So that's what I got to talk. That's what I'm going to talk about. Um, in, in the U S you can purchase this for 250 brand new, $250 brand new, actually around the world, you can get it for that price. So even though you can't get it on your contract and thus essentially, especially if it's 250 new, uh, you know, you could get it for free, even (laughs) with a two-year contract, pretty much. Um, even though you can't get on your contract, it's still a really, really low price. And again, you have the dual SIM card ability to where you could keep your, you know, your, your T-Mobile or your Sprint. Though T-Mobile is nice because they offer, they, when you go international, they don't hike up your rates on data. And most people use their phone for data anyway. Um, but you know, if you're an international traveling person, traveling person, uh, this is the killer phone. In my opinion, this is the phone that has it all and can be had for a really low price and from a great company because you can get dual SIM card phones from a lot of people, um, uh, you know, from like from Chinese companies or wherever. But, you know, do you want to question the quality? Sure. I don't mind if you do. OK, but Lenovo's great. You know, one of just the best companies in the world uh, as far as electronics go. And so the P780, I think, is probably the best phone on the market right now. If you're a person that's going international, you know, otherwise, yeah, go with the M8. I think the M8's great. Or, you know, if you get the S5, the S5 is good. Uh, I just, you know, I don't see the, uh, I don't see the Nexus 5. And of course, I think the Nexus 6 is coming out in the next month or so. So maybe you want to wait for that. Uh, but none of these phones are coming out with these new killer features anyway. They all have more power than they could possibly know what to do with. So, you know, I don't see the point to waiting really uh, and, and they're just, you know, like these yearly releases of these phones, the M eight is a genuinely, I think it's a great improvement from the one, which is hard to believe that you can improve on it. Uh, but, uh, you know, most of these companies are, are doing, talk about incrementalism. They're doing incremental improvements and that's not worth upgrading to every year. So anyway, that, yeah. So my, my best, my opinion, the best phone out there is Lenovo P 780. Otherwise, if you're on contract, just grab the M eight from HTC. Okay. Now real quick. Well, not too quick, but I want to talk about Easter because while this episode is getting released on the 19th and Easter's on April 20th, 420, 420, there, there was a common, it was getting to the point because the internet doesn't allow lies to go to exist for too long. A lot of people have been pushing the, or have been proving and pushing the fact uh, including Richard Dawkins, though apparently, unfortunately, he retracted it, uh, that that Easter is actually a celebration of Ishtar, that it's a pagan holiday, that it's not Christian at all. Uh, and I think that this statement is true. Uh, it's absolutely true. Now, 
how did this supposedly last year out of nowhere finally get debunked or supposedly get debunked that Easter is not related to Ishtar? Okay, the, and Ishtar is the goddess of uh, sex, fertility, love, war um, in, uh, you know, in Babylon and, and, and Sumer. Um, though, you know, names change as you, as you go through all these things, but there's definitely a string of the same character, certainly. Uh, and the supposed reason is that we can, to some degree, prove that the word Easter actually comes from Saxon and German words like Easter. Okay. Which is E O S T R E. And it is a fertility goddess still. Okay. And so because we can do that, you know, we can prove it that far, but then for it to also be related to Ishtar, that means that the word Yuster and Ishtar would have to be related, but that somehow they would have had to have skipped generations of other civilizations as an Ishtar is a Babylonian word. And it would have had to jump essentially over Greece. It would have had to jump over Rome. It would have had to jump over so many different language changes throughout the, you know, the, 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 the civilized world to get to Eoster or however it's pronounced in, you know, in the Saxon world and in the German world. And so, and it's, it's a clever one. And so they say, you know, no, words don't do that. Words don't do that at all. They don't just jump. You know, they don't just leap civilizations. Uh, I mean, now maybe that could happen because the Internet, you know, keeps everything uh, out there. But beforehand, that wasn't possible, especially where like literacy was not the order of the day. So it doesn't make sense. And it's a great argument. But that's the problem. They're, 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 <laughs> speaking of literacy, literacy proves the point of why is that that argument falls flat on its ass. Okay, is that I give you the word, our word, our modern word, paper. Where does that word come from? Anyone? Yeah, uh, Phoenician? No, no, no. Uh, Greece? No, no, not Greece. Rome? No, no, no. Wrong, wrong. Egypt. There you go. In the left. You got it. Egypt. It comes from Egypt. Egypt, Egyptian culture, Egyptian civilization. It comes from, in fact, it comes from the very latest days of the old kingdom, which is quite some time ago, quite a few thousand years ago. And the word is papyrus that paper comes from. And it's pretty easy to see the relation there, papyrus paper. So by the metric of the word Ishtar not being related to the word Easter because it can't skip languages, how exactly did we get papyrus to mean pa to, to get used for paper? Because paper's been around, that, is, that has been our word, for hundreds of years. What is the, so let's see, so, so there's no Ishtar in the Latin language, in the, you know, in, in, the, in Roman language, and so that's kind of the proof, is like, you know, it didn't skip over that. So what was the word for paper in, in Rome? Maybe that's, maybe that's something close to paper, and so actually it just kind of like changed a little bit, and it just filtered down, like we say, you know, the maybe Ishtar did, maybe it just filtered down a bit. Well, actually, the word for paper in Latin is, is carta like Magna Carta. Okay. So there's no relation there. How did we possibly start using the word paper and using it from the word papyrus? If words don't skip, it's because they do skip. It's because there are people, there are groups, whatever that will hold on to words and keep using them, whether it's just slang or not. 
So the entire argument that the word Easter comes from Eoster, which it does, but that Eoster does not come from Ishtar because it couldn't skip languages, like somehow papyrus and paper pulled that trick off, is nonsense. Yes, Easter is related to Ishtar. And then you say, well, oh, the egg has always been a symbol of resurrection. To who? The reason there's a rabbit being used, haven't you ever heard the phrase, fuck like bunnies? Fuck like rabbits? It's all reference to a fertility goddess and to sexuality and all of that. Okay? Now, you know, I'm not going to bother to go into the whole, again, this is how they disproved it, is with that simple bit of logic, logic that doesn't hold up once you look into the origins of so many other words in our language. Yes, Egyptian words can come all the way to the English language without having a straight path that we can see. They can do that. They're lying. Christians are just ticked off that the evidence is slammed in their face that, wait a minute, Easter is a pagan holiday. Well, also, guess what? Saturnalia is a pagan holiday, too. You just happen to call it Christmas. Anyway, I'm done with that. I'm not going to go into, like, did Jesus actually exist or any of that crap. Uh, if you want, if you ever want my thoughts on that, you can shoot me an email and we'll talk about it. But anyway, these people, Ishtar is Easter. Hey, Brian, what's that funny sticker over your laptop webcam? I was trying to spy on you while you were in the shower, but now I can't. See, that's why I have it. And it's from EFF.org. EFF? What's that? It's the Electronic Frontier Foundation, totally donor-funded organization that fights for internet freedom, privacy. Wow, that sounds great. So EFF.org, I support internet freedom and privacy, and maybe you do too. Yeah, and you can support them with Bitcoin. The Electronic Frontier Foundation at EFF.org. Brian, stop playing those video games! Uh, 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 just a minute, Mom. Game Talk. It is time for Game Talk, where we talk video games. And, you know, I have, for some, this might be sad news. Uh, and, you know, of course, you can email me and it's going to be a few episodes. So I might I might be convinced to change my mind. Um, but I am going to I've gotten some feedback to where some people think that the show might be might run a little too long. And with that in mind, I thought it's like, okay, yeah, maybe we can cut down Sovereign Tech a little bit. And the first thing I thought to go, and I actually explored this idea quite a few episodes ago, uh, quite some time ago, of eliminating Game Talk. So, but then, you know, a bunch of people said, oh, hey, you know, I love Game Talk, you know, it's great. Uh, And, but, you know, I haven't really heard anybody like recently in quite some time say that they're getting a whole lot out of Game Talk. And so... I think I will be, I am as of right now, I'm planning on eliminating game talk from the show. And so by episode 75, there are going to be a lot of changes in the format of the show, still doing segments, you know, tech roulette might still be, you know, a lot of these things will still be there, but I'm doing a lot of changes. It's good to shake things up and, you know, you don't want to keep complacent. You don't want your show to stay the same all the time. And so game talk will be going away. Uh, that doesn't mean I won't talk about game news. I still will. Uh, and I'll do it as a main story if it's that big of a deal. Okay. So, but, but as it stands, we will be eliminating game talk game of the week is going to stay. I love doing game of the week, which uh, in a lot of ways is what I wanted to do for game talk anyway, was to be able to talk about those games that, uh, you know, go under the radar. 
Um, so, but, but do enjoy this. This will be one of the, you know, one of the last few, like I say, by episode 75, I plan on the show sounding very, very different. Of course, you know, by and large, I mean, it's still meets the content, you know, is still all the, all the same shtick, you know, uh, but, but I will be doing that. Um, and I, and I do plan on talking, I got some emails from people actually asking me to talk more about like Chrome apps to use and talk more about Chromebooks and all this stuff. And so I'm getting a lot of feedback that people want to know what to do with technology, what, what to do with their technology and like things to use. And so, you know, I'm not going to make the show all about that, but I'm going to integrate that a lot more into the show, which is actually a lot of what the show did in the past anyway. Um, so I'll be highlighting, you know, a lot of, cause a lot of people, you know, I've recommended Chromebooks to a lot of people and, uh, people have requested that those, uh, get, get, impl- you know, more implemented into the show. And so I will talk about them. Uh, and, and because it is, it does seem like a scarce area where not a lot of people talk about what these things can do, especially since they're so popular. Uh, and they are, they're just increasing in popularity. It's, it's amazing. So anyway, do enjoy this as one of the last game talks, uh, that sovereign tech will have. Um, I, <laughs> I've got a beauty of a story here for you and go to the show notes at sovereigntech.com and, and, and click on the link, uh, for this one. Cause it's gotta be seen to believed <laughs> or to be enjoyed maybe. Um, and this is from uh, Kotaku by Luke Plunkett and it's, uh, Hey, Sony, People are having sex live on the PS4. Woo! (laughs) This is so good. Uh, Okay, so give people a camera and a means to broadcast, and you can bet that sooner or later they'll use it to film themselves doing some sex, even if it's using a PlayStation 4. Oh, man, you know the Libertine-in-Chief is good with this one. All right. (laughs) In case you're not aware, the new PS4 has a program called Playroom, Uh, If you own a PS4 camera, it lets you record yourself playing games, then broadcast the footage on the Internet. There are also robots who walk around interacting with you. And so what it is, is that on the screen, you'll see like this little robot character kind of like, you know, interacting with what you're doing on screen. And, uh, you know, it's it's play playroom is pretty cool because it's kind of kind of like a Twitch type thing where it lets you, you know, I think it can actually be uploaded to Twitch uh, where it lets you. You know, you get to see yourself playing games and then that could be a funny thing, right? Because like some people start tossing controllers or whatever, or they, they do a little dance of little victory dance when they're done with something. A lot, a lot of fun. Anyway, um, while popular streaming service, Twitch was quick to act last year against certain non-gaming, uh, read topless game shows broadcasts on playroom and later pulled all playroom listings from Twitch altogether. So can't so much put him on, uh, that hasn't stopped people kicking things up a notch provided. You're not lucky enough, quote unquote, to catch them live. YouTube and Reddit are the new homes for clips of people doing it live on their PlayStation four. No game shows, quote unquote, no pretense, just couples filming themselves hard at it on Reddit. I'm not going to link on it because of the, yeah, there's no link anyway, but you can see pictures to kind of get the idea. There's even an animated GIF in this article. Uh, the vids roam free, but even on YouTube, some escape Google's army of robot sensors. The images you see above and below, for example, are from videos that were still viewable on YouTube at time of posting. Who cares? I care. Not me, the person writing the article. Not for my own sake, uh, or these people's sake, or the innocence of those viewing from home. No, I care because nobody will think of the poor little robot. <laughs> and there's this little white robot character. Uh, look at it. So quizzical, so blissful, unaware of what's going on. He knows he wants to look 
but knows not why he wants to look. And you can see it's really great. There's just this little white robot just like looking at these people fucking. Uh, it, it's it's hilarious. I'm sure this isn't the kind of content Sony had in mind when it designed the service, but now that it's here, something probably needs to be done about it. Not for the children who probably know better places to look for better porn anyway, but for the poor robots. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it's 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 really uh, it's really something. So. <laughs> I don't know if any of my listeners have already seen these things up on YouTube or on Reddit. I don't really frequent Reddit much uh, because I, I feel like it's such a toxic place. So I haven't really seen these uh, come down, but I have seen a couple of them on YouTube. And uh, boy, people get creative. And yes, that poor little ro on screen robot uh, that just like kind of looks in like a question mark will appear while a guy's, you know, just, uh, you know, having a great time from from behind on a, on a woman. And of course, you know, she seems to be very much enjoying it. Uh, of course, it's all on camera. So who knows what's really going on? So but here, you know, here's the obvious irony. Uh, and this point can't get stated enough, I don't think. But obviously, everybody, I'm sure most of my listeners are already thinking it. But, oh, no, on Twitch, we can show people getting hacked in half. We can show entire armies of people getting blown away by bullets. Granted, not real, but but virtually uh, we can show, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, bombing whatever Middle Eastern country. We can show all this stuff. But, oh, no, people are fucking on a couch. Turn it off. This is too much. We can't have this. This is terrible. How dare this kind of explicit content be on Twitch? Unbelievable. Real people fucking. I can't believe that. How do people fuck? I mean, this poor kid's watching. How did that kid even get there? How did he get made? By fucking? People... I, I don't know where people are on this. I don't know why there isn't more because there's certainly plenty of people complaining about violence in video games. Why, why is there not a lobby or whatever? Some group out there saying, why are you complaining about the violence and then blocking every sexual act? Where is that group? I am dying for that group to be out there. I will support you. I will highlight you. I will interview you. I'll get you ads. Where are you? People can say whatever. These videos are in bad taste or something. Uh, you know, it's unbelievable. It breaks terms of service. And, uh, you know, it's a, of course, the companies can freely take them down uh, because it's their servers. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah, I know all that. Whatever. Um but it's just, it's really, it's unbelievable, the perspective that we have. And I get the sense that this is, this is by and large, I'll say this, I have a lot of listeners around the world. Uh, you know, I have a global listenership and I'm, I'm very, very happy about that. But I get the sense that this is really only a problem in the United States or North America anyway. And, uh, you know, it, it gets pretty depressing at times. Um, because I think it sends the signal, whether you think you're protecting people or not, I think it sends the signal that sex is somehow shameful. No, I don't care if you say, well, I, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing, but it needs to be done behind closed doors and it shouldn't be available to watch. Okay. Just you're lying. Just come out and say it, say it, that you think it's a shameful thing. 
yes, you can have your privacy. You might not want everybody to see your body. We're not in that world yet to where nudity is totally acceptable. Unfortunately, I do. I understand that, but you know what kind of person I'm talking about. I have absolute respect for your privacy. Go for it. That's fine. Okay. But you know who I'm talking about. I think this is awesome. <laughs> I think it's a lot of fun. I say, put it all over the place. That's fine. Uh, whether it's game related or not, I don't care. Just have it out there. Uh, I consider this activism. I consider these people practically heroic, if not humorous, and they're doing it all in good humor. They're not making grand porn. Uh, and in fact, I like it because, you know, I think porn has, uh, has really gotten lazy. I think porn has, has stopped being as innovative as it, as it once was. Porn used to be such a driving force in, uh, civilization moving forward technologically and otherwise. And I think that's kind of stopped. And, uh, I see this as a trend to the opposite to where people have gotten innovative and they're having fun with like this. You know, what can we do with this kind of on-screen technology like the little robot? And it is, it's funny to see the little robot like looking around wondering what the hell is going on here, even though it doesn't necessarily know. And uh, the playroom thing, I'm sure, is going to add other features and it's going to make for some very, very interesting uh, abilities. You know, like something, there's, there's a great app for Android that I'd love to see people using for some degree of, you know, porn. Uh, it's called FX Guru, I think. I think that's the name of it where like it, it'll like put a, a smashed satellite in the background or something like that. There's these great opportunities. Everybody has their own built-in special effects house now in just about every device they have, whether it's Android PS4 or whatever. And I think some really inventive movies, I, you know, we, we should even just stop calling it. I mean, I understand why we call it porn, but th th that's part of the problem is that we treat it like it's different. We should just call the shit movies, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? But anyway, you could get some really inventive stuff going on. I think this is inventive. I love it. And I think it's insulting that there's tons of people that want it taken down. So what a great use for a video game console. And what a great thing to do while you're playing video games. Tonight, Knight Rider crashes into your living room. I don't believe this. Well, you'd better believe it. A lone crusader for justice drives this crime crasher. The world's most fantastic car. And together they can do just about anything. After all, we're only human. Don't press your luck. And now, buckle up for action with the fastest show on television, Knight Rider. See Knight Rider online today. And now back to Sovereign Tech. Wow! Oh. It's a website of the week. Oh. It is time for website of the week where I highlight websites that sometimes are great, sometimes terrible, uh, sometimes funny, sometimes incredibly useful. And this falls under the incredibly useful and it fits perfectly after what we were just talking about. Um, and, uh, I, I really, this is a website that I recommend everybody use if, if they view this kind of content and the website is tblop or tblop.com. It's tblop.com. And what that is, it's an acronym of course, for the big list of porn. Uh, so this is the big list of porn.com. It's well, not.com it's tblop.com. And anyway, the beauty here, what this website does is it actually, it gives you a, a full listing, um, of porn sites that are actually delivering the goods. 
you know, free or otherwise. And it, it categorizes them all. Uh, there's video and tube sites, live cam sites, amateur specific sites, premium sites, pick dumps, gift dumps, uh, dating sites, quote unquote, uh, not safe for work reddits. There's even a Reddit listing. Um, there's, there's bulletin board listings here, uh, adult blogs. I mean, you, you name it. This is a phenomenal, uh, there's even a listing for Firefox plugins for erotic material. Uh, this is a great, great resource and they literally only deliver the best because, you know, as a guy who's been into computers for a while and who's had a lot of family members and whoever else ask, Hey, could you fix my computer? Uh, you know, I've fixed a lot of computers and nine times out of 10, when something has a virus, you know, I'll crack the joke with the person and say, Oh, I see shouldn't be going to those porn sites. And we'll both have a laugh, but it's an uneasy laugh because we know it's true. <laughs> that that's what happened is that they clicked on some link somewhere and flash JavaScript, whatever, uh, you know, they ended up with a nasty virus or, you know, you malware or whatever you name it. Okay. So this is a solution to that problem where all these things are checked out, uh, you know, and then looked into to make sure that they're totally legitimate and giving you exactly what you want. So stop. What I want you to do is, is to stop when you go to RedTube or you go to Pornhub. I want you to stop clicking on those links on the right or left side. And instead, just what you're looking for, if you know, if you're looking for single whatever in your area, go to tblop.com. Okay, go to the big list, uh, uh, the big list of porn, and find the site in the category for what you're looking for, and use that. Okay, <laughs> believe me, you're going to save yourself a ton of headache. And besides, I hope as a listener of this show, you're using Adblock Plus anyway, or Adblock Edge, uh, and you're eliminating all those ugly ads in the first place. Okay. I mean, that that's the best first line of defense, certainly. But if, you know, when, when you're looking for something, when you're looking for porn on the internet, and it, like the old song goes, the internet is for porn, right? Uh, <laughs> I want you to, I want you to use T-Blop. Okay. It, it really, it's, they, they keep it updated. Uh, I mean, this is a huge community. That's obviously a pretty easy community to find, right? Uh, this is a huge community that, that, you know, can keeps everything up to date on there as to what's the safest. They even do rankings, uh, you know, and then anything you could want here, hentai, uh, you know, you name it. Uh, so, so, so do that, uh, because <laughs> I mean, really it's true. You know, most of the, the malware and things like that, though, actually, you know what? I heard an interesting statistic the other day that you're twice as likely to get malware or spyware or whatever from religious websites than you are from porn sites. I don't know how true that is, but you know what? I bet it is. I'll be back with more. This is Brian Sovereign. You're listening to Sovereign Town. Hey, everybody. It's Stephanie. I am the Sovereign Tech producer, but did you know I am also a voiceover artist? Yes, it's true. I make audiobooks, commercials for your business. I narrate explainer videos, pretty much any audio project that you can think of. I'm probably willing to work on it, or I have worked on it in the past. And if you want to hear some samples of my previous work, or you want to find out a little bit more about what I do, then I encourage you to check out my voiceover website, which is smvoice.info, smvoice.info. Now back to Sovereign Tech. 
Hacker Stories. It is time for Hacker Stories, where we talk about security issues or we share stories about the real heroes of planet Earth today, that being hackers. White hat, gray hat, black hat, I really, I, I think they're all, they're all heroes. And if they're not, they're actually crackers. I mean, that's just, that's how it is. Um, you know, and, and actually, I, it, was, it was great. Uh, you know, I tell a lot of people to, don't worry, we're going to talk about Heartbleed. But I tell a lot of people, look, let's stop using hackers as a pejorative. Let's just eliminate that word from it. And I hosted a, I emceed a cybersecurity panel at the Bitcoin Expo. Anthony Durio was very gracious in, uh, in, in giving me that opportunity. And it was a great panel. It actually got a little, got a little news coverage. Um, and in that, I said, very, like one of the first things I stated is the MC. I said that. I prefer to use, I use the word crackers, not hackers, because I think hackers are the good guys. And that did set the tone for the rest of the panel where people did not use the word hack or hackers as, uh, as enemy imagery. And this is what I recommend to people to do is that when you hear people use the word hackers in that fashion as pejorative, okay, to, to just stop, say, please, I would, I would appreciate it if you would use the word crack or crackers. Okay. I know how those words sound in, in popular parlance too, but I'd much rather have those words getting used and getting a laugh out of people than somehow a hacker that's actually helping the world get a bad name in the popular mindset because he happens to be a literal hacker. Okay. So my point in, in sharing this story is that yes, we can control the narrative. Okay. Of how, you know, how people that are really heroic can be seen and, and not identified as villains. So I, 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 you know, even if you're on the big stage, I recommend call that shot. Okay. Say, no, those are crackers, not hackers. Um, anyway, Heartbleed. Oh boy. Um, to say that this was also a major topic on the cybersecurity panel to say that this isn't the, or to say that this is the biggest uh, event to occur to the internet in the past decade, uh, is no understatement. This really is, uh, this is scary. It's something that's very basic, very, you know, very simple. Uh, it was, a, a just a, 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 a simple, basic mistake that caused it. Uh, and what is Heartbleed? Maybe you're not sure, you know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, you're being told to change your passwords, uh, for just about every site you go to, I'm going to read the article from Lifehacker that I thought did a pretty good job of explaining what exactly it is instead of me, you know, trying to lay it out for you. Um, security, this is from Lifehacker. Security researchers have discovered a serious vulnerability in OpenSSL, the cryptographic software library that protects many websites on the Internet. Here's what that means for you, the average user. There's a lot of technical information and nuance here but we're going to try and make this as simple to understand as possible. If you're more tech savvy, I highly recommend reading. There's a link there for something else to read. Um, what is that open SSL and Heartbleed? Open SSL is an open source implement implementation of SSL and TLS, the protocols that secure much of what you see on the web. Recently, a critical bug was discovered that has been present in open SSL for over two years that can allow anyone on the internet to possibly uncover names, passwords, and content you send to a seemingly secure website. This is like that HTTPS when you not just HTTP, but when you see the S at the end saying it's secure, it means that the certificate has proven that this is the website you're going to. 
as you can imagine, this is a big deal. Um, what sites and services are affected? The Heartbleed bug, as it is, as it's no, now known, affects any sites and services running specific versions of OpenSSL 1.0.1 through 1.0.1F. Many sites may run older versions of OpenSSL that are not vulnerable, and many have likely already updated to a fixed version. Furthermore, not all sites and services use OpenSSL. For example, one password uh, secures their information via different means. LastPass uses OpenSSL and was vulnerable until this morning. To, this is like the day after it was released. But due to extra encryption that happens on your machine, LastPass says your data is still safe. It is estimated that over 66% of the web used, uses OpenSSL, so a good portion of the web may be vulnerable. You can test certain sites using, a, there's a link to a tool here, though it won't answer whether a site was previously vulnerable at any point in the past. You can find a list of affected sites here. There's you know lots of links here for you to check out Heartbleed for yourself. That's why I wanted to include this article. What can I, the average user, do? Unfortunately, there's not much you can do about this. The only way to fix this problem is for the vulnerable sites to update OpenSSL and reissue their security certificates. If possible, try to avoid connecting to vulnerable sites and services until they, they notify you of a fix. Changing your password won't help until the site has fixed the bug, so wait for confirmation from your favorite sites before you uh, go changing passwords. If and when you do get confirmation, audit and update your passwords, passwords as usual. If a site is not vulnerable but doesn't issue a statement, change your passwords just in case they were vulnerable in the past. After all, it can't hurt. Um, and they mentioned how LastPass now has a tool that lets you know which passwords to change, uh, which is pretty great. This is just a really basic rundown of what's going on and how it affects you. Like we said, if you're a bit more technically minded, this Heartbleed fact has more technical information about what's going on. Other than that, the best thing we users can do is wait and stay vigilant. Okay. So that, that, that's the score. It's a bug. It was a mistake that a programmer, you know, pretty much as far as we know, really just accidentally fucked up on, and it allowed for this leaking, thus the bleed, uh, of information of private keys, you know, all kinds of things. That's why your passwords are getting asked to be changed. Um, and you know, there's, there, I, there's a lot of numbers getting tossed around. Okay. So I'm glad I didn't talk about it right away. Um, even though this is still pretty early on from when I would really like to be talking about it, but a lot of people asked about it. So I do it. Um, there's a lot of numbers going around. Some of it being that only about 8% of the internet was affected by Heartbleed, um, which that may be true. There are also accusations that the NSA has known about Heartbleed for all two years. Some people want to speculate as far as that they were the ones that allowed for the screw up. Um, and, you know, there's, of course, the NSA is denying that they, that they used Heartbleed, that they were aware of it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and that's, that's really up to us, you know, and, and I think it's, it's, it's almost a moot point as to whether or not the NSA was using Heartbleed or not. Um, because as I've always said in the past, look, if the NSA is really targeting you, you know, they're coming after you, you, there's nothing you can do. It doesn't matter Heartbleed or not. And, you know, or at least nothing you can do and, and live your life in a normal way. Right. Uh, so Heartbleed was, you know, was a concern. It was a concern. The, the Bitcoin, a lot of people, this is where a lot of people asked about it with Bitcoin. Uh, the Bitcoin core, uh, you know, software was updated to 0.9.1 really fast. 
uh, like the next day because it was using OpenSSL. Um, I, there's a, a funny story about Andreas Antonopoulos where he's the CSO for the chief security officer for, um, for blockchain.info where he was on vacation for a week and he gets back and he's like, holy shit, the internet just died. You know, I mean, that's how bad Heartbleed was, or that's potentially how bad it could have been. Right. Um, and so they, as far as blockchain.info, I was assured, I asked personally, they said, yes, we updated, we went to fixed open SSL instantly the next day. Uh, which was great. So most people, uh, were, were fixed it pretty fast. In fact, even, uh, you know, speaking of porn sites, like we were earlier, I know burningangel.com. uh, they, they, in fact, they're putting up a banner saying, you know, the heartbleed doesn't, isn't affecting us and, you know, heartbleed secure and all this stuff. Uh, so, I mean, everybody's out there making sure they're on the up and up that, um, you know, that, that, everything's fine. We've, we've, we fixed this problem. Now there is a humorous story from the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy, who she she got a, uh, an email from her electric company saying that the Heartbleed virus has not affected our website and just laugh. Okay. <laughs> because Heartbleed's not a virus. You know, it's a bug. It's, it, it, it's a mistake. It's a screw up. It's not, it's not a virus at all. And so how comfortable you feel about a, a company emailing you and saying that, oh yeah, no, don't worry. We didn't get affected by this virus when it's not a virus at all. Do they even know what they're talking about? <laughs> anyway, um, so, you know, what to do about this, how to, how to keep this from happening in the future. Uh, I agree with the, the sentiment going around from guys like Leo Laporte, uh, and, and Steve Gibson, who Steve Gibson, just a, an amazing, uh, you know, security minded individual that uh, use LastPass uh, because LastPass, as far as we know, did not get affected by this. They were the most out in front about this and they were doing everything they can to let you know what passwords you need to change. Okay. Uh, LastPass is, if you're not using it, it's available on everything. Okay. It's available on Android. It's available on Chromebooks. It's available. I mean, you name it, it's available all over the place. And this guy, the guy that runs LastPass does not, you're instantly thinking because LastPass is essentially, you only have to type in one password and it saves all the passwords for all the websites you go to. Okay. And you just, I know what you're thinking. You're like, oh my God, that's centralizing my, my password. This is a bad idea. This is not good. No, he doesn't have your passwords. Everything is encrypted client side on your computer. Uh, to where, you know, that, that he, he doesn't have them. He doesn't have access to it. Okay. He's a blind party. That's just operate. That's just offering the service. Okay. So LastPass is a very good thing to use. I, I totally recommend that as a solution to these kinds of things occurring in the future, because your passwords are secured client side. Uh, now, I mean, of course, you still want to change them when they find out, but that's the beautiful thing, too, is that as the service wants to get used, they inform you of what websites are a problem. So you get to be very proactive, very fast, as fast as anyone can be, because this is a zero day bug, meaning that nobody knew about it. So there's nothing you could have done about it beforehand, really. Uh, there's now I mean, there's the case for people starting to use perfect forward secrecy a lot. Twitter has that implemented. Hopefully a lot of other websites are going to start implementing perfect forward secrecy. And I recommend you read up on what that is and how important it is. Um, but that would have also solved this problem, but you couldn't do anything about that. These services are the ones that have to implement perfect forward secrecy. Um, so, you know, was Bitcoin compromised? Was there some theft? 
um, uh, Mike Hearn, one of one of the, the the big names in Bitcoin development, said, "Don't worry, there's probably going to be some theft, but don't worry." I'll admit, in the Bitcoin sphere, and I'm only talking about Bitcoin, not the internet in general. If Mike Hearn says, "Don't worry," I worry because I don't trust that guy. Anyway, didn't mean to leave you with a scare. I'll be back with more. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Would you like to play a game? Game of the Week. It is time for Game of the Week, where I cover games that uh, I think, you know, maybe got just got missed in the popular uh popular mindset of the video game world and uh, or something that deserves a good reinstall a good replay maybe break out the emulator and try something out and this week's game uh is one of those cases but i want to address real quick i know i left you with a little bit of a scare there about the bitcoin thing um as far as what to do about bitcoin and heartbleed it's real simple start using armory please just use armory i think it's it's great software or you can use electrum electrum is good too uh but but use a local um, you know, you use a local wallet, uh, app of some kind. If you're on an Android phone, use mycelium love. I love mycelium fucking love them. Okay. Uh, so please, you know, or use, you know, maybe, maybe use FIVA, but, but, but mycelium or armory are at the top of my list. So just putting that out there. Anyway, game of the week. I love this game. This game has uh, some sentimentality for me. And yes, you're going to have to break out an emulator, a Nintendo emulator, or even a, maybe a Genesis emulator. Uh, to be able to play it. And the game is Mega Man 3. Now, Mega Man, there's, you know, we have Mega Man 1 through 10, and then there's the Mega Man X series that's been going on forever. All great games. I love all of them. I've played all of them, beat all of them, the whole business. Okay. But Mega Man 3 for me was kind of the king. Okay. For some people, it was Mega Man 2. Uh, I, I, I really, I put it at Mega Man 3. Uh, and the reason I say you could break out the Genesis uh, emulator is that uh, I it was part of the uh, Wiley Wars, if I remember correctly, for for Genesis. I could be getting that wrong, but there was a game that was kind of a compilation uh, that was called the Wiley Wars, and it had updated graphics for the Genesis and everything. Uh, and Mega Man Three was a part of that, and it was really really well done, though exceptionally harder even uh, than than the Mega Man Three was on on the Nintendo when it was hard enough. Uh, and so these, the, you know, Mega Man, if you, do, I, I assume everybody knows the Mega Man games. I mean, they're, they're, they're platformers, uh, you know, with the, the titular character being the blue bomber, of course, in Japan, he's known as rock man, which when you understand that people, everybody still kind of calls him Mega Man, but when you understand that he's called rock man, a lot of the characters in the game make a little more sense. Like there's the character of roll, um, you know, rock and roll. That was <laughs> Okay. Uh, anyway, so Mega Man 3 had a lot of firsts. It was the first time Mega Man could slide uh, the charging ability where the Mega Blaster, your arm cannon, could essentially charge up, you know, and, and fire a, a greater shot. Uh, you know, a, a lot of these kinds of things were, were, were at the forefront 
of, uh, of, of Mega Man. And I mean, this was, this was a big seller. Now it's a big deal for me because, uh, and one of the, the next game talk, I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to talk about why games are still $60 because I bought Mega Man three back when it came out. Oh boy. 1990. I bought it for my birthday and, uh, well, so that would have been in 91 that I bought it. But anyway, I bought it for my birthday and I hashed out 50 whole dollars for that game. And, uh, and it, it really, it, it holds that sentimentality for me for that. It was like one of the games that I bought myself, you know, <laughs> uh, at a very young age. So when, when my parents actually gave me some degree of autonomy in what I could do with my money, which was, uh, which is pretty rare. So, uh, also Mega Man three had, uh, had RC, which was, uh, you know, a, a character that could, um, uh, like the little dog character and you could ride around on him like a sled or he could like, you know, spring you up onto high things. Uh, Proto Man, this is kind of the first appearance of the character Proto Man, which was, you know, Mega Man's progenitor, the kind of a brother character almost. Uh, and the music in Mega Man 3, the opening title for Mega Man 3, of course it's 8-bit music, but the opening title is positively epic and it gives you chills. I think even to this day, it gives you chills when you hear it. Uh, because it's just this really epic music. So it was really video Mega Man three for me was video games really maturing into, no, we can do a whole lot with this, you know, like we can come up with a whole ton of really, really good ideas. And in fact, you know, speaking of it, I think I'm wrong. This was not the first game where you could charge your gun. I think Mega Man X holds that title of being the one where you could charge your gun. Um, but anyway, Mega Man three was, was really the epitome of Mega Man games. A lot of people say four five and six after that, not counting seven, eight, nine, or 10, but four, five, and six, which all came out for the, for the NES after it kind of just rehashed a lot of what Mega Man, you know, it just like, it didn't really deliver anything new. And maybe that's the fault of Mega Man three offering so much new gameplay. And it's still a ton of fun. Uh, I mean, you know, take on Magnet Man, Gemini Man, all that stuff. It's, it's just a, you know, a rollicking good time of a game. Uh, and still my favorite Mega Man, even though I really, really enjoyed Mega Man 10. That was, that was intense, especially to be able to play as bass, or, or bass, as it should be. <laughs> anyway, Mega Man 3, check it out, break out an emulator. I'll be back with more. Do you have a business or product that you are interested in getting advertised to a largely U.S.-based audience on an award-winning podcast and radio show airing on hundreds of radio stations? Let Free Talk Live be a part of your advertising portfolio, because the world of audio never fades. Contact me, Brian Sovereign, and I can get an advertising package that will work within your budget. Email me at brian at freetalklive.com. And that's Brian with an I. Again, brian at freetalklive.com. What are you doing? I can't believe I caught you again. You know, Jesus doesn't approve of this little habit of yours. I know, baby, I know it's wrong, but it feels so right. Well, it ain't. But I've been doing it since I was 12 years old. It's nothing but a sinful perversion of nature, if you ask me. But, baby, I don't ever want to stop looking at tech websites, new gadgets, video games, software, or any of that stuff. Well, then I'm leaving. Okay. Bye. Pick of the week. It is time for Pick of the Week, where I talk about... I geek out. That's it. I talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. Uh, it could be a product, a TV show, video game, movie, music, uh, comic book, novel. Uh, you know, it could be a topic. I might read poetry. 
uh, you name it. I, uh, I mean, <laughs> I'll talk about whatever, I, whatever the hell I want to talk about. And I think it's important for, uh, for podcasters to be able to do that every once in a while. And so I made it a part of my, you know, a singular part of my show. Um, and this week I want to talk about, because I mentioned how I'm going to be changing up the format quite a bit of the show. I'm going to, I am making new ads for everything. And one of the ads that's going to go, uh, I'll tell you right now is the ad for Knight Rider. Um, and is, I love that show. I love airing that ad. I really enjoy being able to, to walk down memory lane with my ads. Okay. Uh, essentially what I do is, is that with Sovereign Tech is that if I, if I had my own radio network, these are the things I would want to advertise. And so that's what I do. <laughs> and I implement them myself. Um, so anyway, so it's going to go and with it being something that's going to go, I want to take the time to talk about why I put Knight Rider in as an ad. Uh, Knight Rider was, I mean, it's a show started way back, um, you know, in 1982, went four seasons. Um, I mean, I was barely conscious, you know, when it was on and one has to be careful in that cause I was born in 1981. So, you know, I'm growing up to some degree in the eighties, though really, I really grew up in the nineties, you know, uh, but whatever, <laughs> anyway, um, some sometimes you have to be careful in that something you enjoyed as, as a child, you know, did you enjoy it because you grew up with it? And so it was so kind of formative to you and that it actually doesn't really bear any great meaning. That doesn't mean you don't like it anymore. Now it just means that it doesn't hold the same greatness to other people because it wasn't like so integral to their, you know, to their shaping, to their, their maturing, to their growing up. Uh, you gotta be careful of that. And Knight Rider, I'm open to it. Maybe falling under that. I don't think so. I think it's genuinely great entertainment. I think it's genuinely cool. And I think cool factor is an, is an incredibly important thing. albeit very subjective as all value is. Um, it's, it's an important, you know, it's an important aspect to have. And Knight Rider had it. Uh, it, it really did. Now, of course, you know, for those that don't know, I imagine everybody knows, but for those that don't know, uh, you know, Knight Rider is a story about a character named Michael Knight played by David Hasselhoff. Uh, and he is, you know, as the, the opening title goes, you know, the lone crusader for justice, uh, in a world of criminals who operate above the law, blah, blah, blah. And he drives around in his car, this, this black Trans Am, uh, you know, modified Trans Am called Kit, the Night Industries 2000, which is this, you know, super advanced car. Um, and, you know, it's, it's essentially a cop show, you know, for, for the, the broad genre definition. He's not a policeman. He works outside of that, but. You know, he is, I mean, he works for an organization called flag, which is the foundation for law and government that sucks, but whatever, <laughs> you know, we'll take that for what it is. Um, but it is essentially, you know, a guy going around, you know, delivering, uh, justice and, you know, and solving problems and helping people, blah, 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 which was a common theme in the eighties for a lot of, a lot of the great shows out of the eighties, the A team, Airwolf, MacGyver, uh, you know, go, go down the list. Uh, there, there's, there's just tons of shows that did sort of the same thing. Um, and maybe there's something to be discussed in the fact that, that, that was happening so much in the eighties, but I'm not going to go there right now. Uh, so Knight Rider, you know, kind of, kind of had it all the, like at the time it played really good music, like it played popular music, which was uh, an easy way to hook people into liking it because it had that cool factor, uh, kit, 
you know, the, the Trans Am of the Pontiac Trans Fiber Trans Am of the time was an awesome looking vehicle, it looked futuristic in itself. And then of course, Kit having that red light scanner going across, you know, the front looking like a Cylon, which isn't, which the irony of that shouldn't pass you as Glenn Larson created Knight Rider. And he also created the original and only uh, real Battlestar Galactica from the seventies. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so it had, had that look to it. Um, but, uh, it was just it, really cool. You know, he had the black leather jacket, the jeans, the the whole thing, just, uh, you know, Hasselhoff as Michael Knight pulled off this really cool, mysterious kind of character. Um, and what, what made it so, so cool for me. And even now still stands out is that except for in the very first episode, if I remember correctly, um, and it's been some time since I've rewatched these, except for the very first episode, uh, Michael Knight did not use weapons. Now this is the same thing with MacGyver. Uh, MacGyver did not use guns, or I should say more particularly should use gun. They didn't use guns. Uh, Michael Knight has one in the first episode. MacGyver also uses one in the first episode of the show. But then after that, there's actually like a message of, I don't use guns. Uh, and that's interesting. You know, and, and there might be people who say, oh, this is all part of the, the New World Order agenda to disarm citizens. They've been doing it since the 80s and all of our action shows, whatever, because it's not like these shows weren't still violent to a degree. It's not like Michael Knight still wouldn't throw a fist or do some karate kicks and chops or MacGyver wouldn't do the same thing. So it's not like there's not an anti-violence message, but then maybe that's what people are, are concerned about is that there's an anti-disarming message, whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, there was a point where Kit like had a laser mounted to him, you know, mounted to his, his sensor package. And that's when they were taking on, uh, Goliath, which was this, like, uh, supposed to be this, this, um, tractor trailer, you know, this big Mack truck that was taking on, that had missiles mounted onto it. That was made out of the same molecular bonded shell that Kit was made out of, which is what made Kit so indestructible. Goliath was the same thing. And so they had to use lasers to do something, you know, to somehow affect the molecular bonded shell. So that was like the only time that I can really remember where, where Kit was even armed to some degree. Otherwise they just used like microwave jamming. They used all these kind of defensive um, abilities, but that's what I think was so cool about it is they came up with so many ingenious, sometimes technological, sometimes common sense ways of solving, you know, of, of working out the, these, you know, high tech issues or whatever, or these crimes, uh, you know, in, in a, in really a, a, a generally nonviolent way. Um, of course, in a million ways, it's status quo. People go to jail at the end, usually whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, you know, appreciate it for what it is. And for the fact that it was so forward thinking, um, you know, like this is a case. No, it didn't predict the self-driving car. Okay. But you know, it, it was cool to have like a car with that kind of AI. And even today, a lot of like, you can get apps for your Android tablets or whatever that simulate the kit interface. Okay. Um, and, <laughs> and because a lot of people still kind of want that, like we said, how Google wants to make science fiction. A lot of people want to have, you know, that, that car that talks to you like kit. I think a lot of people thought when GPSs would respond to you and tell you directions, I think a lot of people felt like, Oh yeah, this is kit. This is cool. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> it's not something to be downplayed because like we said earlier in the show, Google does it, that people just want to create things that mimic what they see on TV, but it's pretty inventive of what they came out with for, for Knight Rider. And, uh, you know, the music was cool for it. Just a lot of cool stuff. And, and the stories were often 
there is some depth to them, admittedly. Not as much as like with Airwolf season one, where the show was serious as a heart attack. Okay. But there was, there was some depth and there was a really great message that, that Knight Rider was trying to, trying to get across to you. And I think this is really important. And the message is in that the, the guy that invented the Knight Industries 2000, that invented Kit and gave Michael Knight his new life because originally his name was Sam Long, I think, or Michael Long. And, uh, you know, then he, <laughs> you know, he becomes Michael Knight. Um, Wilton Knight is the character who dies in the first episode, of course. Uh, but um, he has a saying that, you know, one man can make a difference. And I think that's a pretty powerful message. And I think that's maybe the most intriguing thing that Knight Rider showed is the just the kind of rugged individualism that Michael Knight was going around helping people with. It's just me, you know, and you know what I mean? It's just, you know, one guy could be it could have been a woman if they wanted. Uh, in fact, with the Knight Rider 2000 movie, which I loved the Knight Rider 2000 movie that came out in the uh, 90s, um, that it was supposed to be a female lead character for that one, though the, the show just didn't take off, uh, for lack of interest, but, uh, you know, they're, they're open to that anyway. Um, you know, there, there is this, this message of individualism and I love the idea that yes, one man can make a difference. It's good, you know, to have things like the free state project where, you know, 20,000 people are going to get together to, to create change, but that's really not necessary, you know? And, and I like how it kind of, Knight Rider has this little message of fuck armies, I'll solve the problem myself, you know, not to say that we don't, you know, to some degree need each other, but just that message that, you know, one man can make a difference, I think is, is pretty powerful. And I like that. And, you know, here's now I, I want to switch gears in the last couple minutes, because this is something that, that really annoys me. David Hasselhoff. Okay. The, the, the lead actor and night writer, you know, was, was a hero to a lot of kids. In fact, there's, there's a very famous story and it's true where, because Hasselhoff, David Hasselhoff's really big in, in Germany, right? Okay. Uh, that's, that's, that's how it is. You can joke about it and that's fine, but he's really big in Germany. He's, he's actually a pop star over there and has sold millions upon millions of albums. Um, and there's a story where a kid was in a coma over there. Uh, and he was in the hospital for months and they have their version of a make a wish foundation. And the kid was a huge fan of Knight Rider, wanted David Hasselhoff to visit. David Hasselhoff visits this kid in a hospital who has a coma, sits there for about six hours and just talks to the kid, just, just keeps talking, you know? And, uh, he gets up to leave. And again, this is a totally true story. He gets up to leave. And the kid wakes up out of the coma and says, I love you, Knight Rider. You know, it's pretty powerful. And uh, I'll admit, I get goosebumps whenever I even, you know, hear or tell the story. And what bothers me, and I know Hasselhoff's not a perfect person. He's done some pretty, you know, ugly shit. But he's like a running joke on the internet. And he hams it up, whatever. Maybe it's his payday now. I don't know. 
but he he's a running joke and people just like constantly rip on him. And I think that's a crock of shit. You know, I, I think that's crap. Because these people, you know, de- depending on your, your definitions of heroism, whatever, sometimes some of these actors, they really, they do inspire people. And I think David Hasselhoff inspired a whole lot of people. He inspired me, inspired a pretty strong sense of individualism. And I think it's, it's nonsense that he's some kind of joke now that even Google hams up. Check out Knight Rider if you've ever watched it. I think it's worth watching. And there, there's a bunch of, there's a sequel show and all that stuff. You can take that for what you will. Nothing compares to the original, right? But, uh, but enjoy it. Check it out. Anyway, um, I, I love Knight Rider. I enjoy David Hasselhoff and I enjoy his music. So check that out too. Carpe Lucem. Thank you. I'll see you next week. This has been Sovereign Tech. Visit us at SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N tech.com. There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share. Later, nerds. <laughs>